Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperato. Where we help men communicate and build empathy. All right, Albert, we have a, a very fun one today. We have our uh, first international guest. I'm pretty stoked about it. <laughs> Yay, yes, Eric yeah. mm-hmm. from Berlinga, Sweden. I think we yes. said it right. Yeah, we're, right. we're going to butcher some things, but hey, um, we're, we're doing our best to, to be inclusive here. But um, speaking of inclusion, um, I actually had a really interesting conversation with uh, some of my work peers. We actually had like a meeting about all of diversity and inclusion. And um, man, let me tell you, this podcast helped that conversation quite a bit because I was able to pull so much information from it. And, you know, just being a part of this, it was just really nice to kind of have a little bit more insight into, um, you know, inclusion and just kind of like the out voice. Um, just kind of wanted to ask you, like in your personal life, have you, have you had any different types of conversations just from, you know, kind of what's been sparked on this podcast at all? Oh, totally. Totally. I have my little, my little, uh, Adam, uh, wisdom nuggets. <laughs> like when I hear people like making uh, small talk that I find is just uh, not not going the right direction. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm hearing some scarcity mindset here. That's that's unfortunate. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, okay, I think I know. used the phrase correctly. No, there's no doubt. There's absolutely no doubt. Um, I'm not only borrowing phrases from you know that I've heard from you, but th- thinking of cer- certain stories that guests told us or. Um, just thinking myself, just listening and confronting my own ideas about myself, like thinking, um, oh my God, you're such a good listener. And then realizing sometimes I'm not a very good listener or, oh my God, I'm so loving and supportive and I'm so good to people. And then realizing sometimes I'm just a self-absorbed schnook. Uh, yeah. So I've, (laughs) it's impacted my life. I'm curious at work, did anybody actually, actually come up to you and say, I've been listening to the show? Uh, yeah, actually. So I had one person, um, he actually left the company a little while ago, but came in, he now runs an IT department. Um, so he got a, a big promotion on there and, uh, he was picking up, he had, he brought, you know, about 17 max in and I was helping him get out. And he was just like, Oh man, like, dude, I've been listening to your podcast and I just love it. I'm always on a plane and I'm here. And I was just like, dude, I haven't talked to you in like a year. Like, and it was just mind blowing that someone like I personally know is like really into it. And yeah, that kind of just lit up my day a little bit and, and made me feel good. But, um, I think what's really impacted me other than, you know, obviously like the, the accolades and stuff is just, you know, I, I get a lot more, um, people just really like saying, Hey, like you're like, you're really connecting with me and you really helped me out. Cause you know, a lot of customer service, you know, you just have to listen. And it's like, and I feel like I can kind of pick up on the cues of like, okay, this is like hurting you or like, you know, this is, this is a big part. And I get to lean into that a little bit more and just makes just by listening, like really listening, like making their day just a smidge better. So for me, that's, that's been a really great part for it. And, um, it's helped my, my professional life out. <laughs> it's fitting in with the mission and yeah. of, uh, you know, building more empathy and, you know, being more, uh, present and engaged Absolutely. and, um, well, that's that's great that you're feeling that. It's funny too because I had a um, I had a uh, weekend with my all my siblings up yes. in Hudson. If you remember the last time we spoke, I was recovering from a terrible flu. I was yes. actually was not even recovering. I was in the midst of it. I was talking to you on a day that I was still pretty sick, and um, I was just so relieved to make it out the other side of 
being so miserable. I was really, I like, I, mean, I haven't missed a, a week of work in a long, long time. I was pretty sick. But anyway, when, when I recovered my, um, I had a, 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 a day planned yesterday, which was all my siblings came. We have, I have a sister, a step, a stepbrother, a stepsister and their spouses. And we all gathered, uh, gathered together for the first time that they've all come up to the country to be in my, my weekend territory, which was frightening because I saw them looking at real estate companies and threatening to move nearby. And I was just ready to sell my house. So, but I mean, we had so much fun, but one, my stepbrother, there's no, there's no hiding in my family. They just tell you what they think. Um, what my stepbrother said, Oh, I've been listening to that podcast you're doing. And I said, Oh, do you like it? And he kind of was like, eh. <laughs> it's like, okay, there's a endorsement. I'm not sure how much he loves it because I mean they know they know my story. If they started with the Albert Imperato deep dive, mm -hmm. and they know the whole, they knew every yeah, character know, in that. Yeah, behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm sure some of that was not not exactly fun for people to listen to. On the other hand, uh, uh, my buddy from uh, one of my followers from um, my other account, my my upstate account. He wrote a note saying, oh, I, I worked my way backwards in the podcast and finally heard uh, your deep dive. And I, you know, like, oh, my God, I thought I knew you. I didn't know anything about you. And wow, you had a crazy, like a lot of crazy shit going on. I'm like, dude, we've all we all have crazy shit going on. I mean, put a mic in front of anybody and let them tell you their stories. And you're going to hear all kinds of stuff that uh, I mean, it's the human condition. It's supposed to be frantic and crazy and beautiful and wonderful and torturous and all that stuff and and speaking of torture our poor our poor guest in the waiting room we should probably <laughs> introduce eric um, i'm going to just say my little intro to eric is uh, very soon into posting um our uh, one of our earlier podcasts eric wrote a note and said oh albert i think this is great that you're doing this um you know guys obviously don't talk enough and it's a real problem in sweden so, um, you know, I, it was great. I mean, was a, he, Eric was, I think, the first person, not from the U.S., who uh, wrote to me about what we were doing. And he was so encouraging. It was giving me the, the feeling that issues that men face are, they, they're probably really different in other places, but also there's a lot of similarities. So I thought it, it would just be so great um, to have Eric come on and, and give his perspective. And uh, you know, he's a busy guy. He's got two kids. You could tell them uh, maybe a little bit more about them when you do your famous intro. Absolutely, yeah. And you know, just to kind of go off of what you said, I think what we're doing here is just telling stories and and getting that out there is just helping more and more people come forward because we're not different. You know, we're this is more common than it is not common. So, Eric, I'm really stoked to to have you on. So I want to pump you up here. So. Eric Olsen, and apparently uh, half of Sweden is named like that. Uh, he was born in Berlang Darlana, in the heart of Sweden. At 34 years old, he runs his own IT consulting firm since two years back. He's married to his high school sweetheart and has two kids, a daughter who is four and a son who is one and a half. He's been a ski racer for most of his life and ended his career at age 25. Eric earned a silver medal in the national championships and was ranked 150th in the world. Eric states that he's had performance anxiety since he was about 10 years old and didn't talk to a professional until it was too late. It started whenever he was uh, 26 and then already quit racing. So Eric, we appreciate that and we're really interested in, in hearing about you. So welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you for having me. Uh, really fun to be on the show since I've been a faithful listener since the start. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I admire you and want to thank you for uh, giving us the opportunity to talk like this on this platform. Uh, it's uh, really, really great and something I think uh, a lot of men would benefit from. It's just crazy that like this is happening and it was all just started from one conversation and now we're talking to people around the world about you know some stuff that that really matters. So thank you for for sharing on the show. I'm actually I have some questions I'm I'm dying to ask, but Albert, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask a, a basic one. Uh, tell us a little bit about your hometown. Are are you near a big city? I'm assuming it's not a big city. I didn't no. know. That <laughs> you it. Uh, not a lot of people outside Sweden have heard of Borlänge, but uh, no, it's not a big city. It's uh, fifty thousand people living in Borlänge around give or take, uh, and uh, there's another. Uh, yeah, similar uh, town nearby called Fallen. So uh, together, this area, which um, yeah, two uh, miles or no, twenty kilometers uh, apart, there's like one hundred people, one hundred thousand people living. So it's not not a not a major city, but uh, yeah. So would you say if people said like you're growing up? I mean, were you a like a suburban kind of kid? Did you think of yourself as more of a more of a country kid. What what was your idea of your 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 growing up period? Uh, I lived in like a big uh, uh, area where there was a lot of uh, villas, not uh, too many. Uh, what do you call them? Condos or uh, apartments? Now, uh, but I saw myself as a wild kid uh, when I was uh, when I was young because uh, there was a big forest uh, nearby which I spend uh, almost every day I could, uh, all summers uh, building tree houses and uh, yeah, just being outdoors uh, because that was uh, one thing I really loved. So uh, I, I'm not sure about the, the term suburban kid, but uh, uh, my identity, when, at least when I was a small kid up to maybe 10, 11 years, I, I saw myself as a wild kid. Uh, had you're a far, you were a forest, a forest. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, had the knife in the belt and uh, yeah, uh, loved to hang out in the woods and make tree houses and yeah, like teepees out of uh, out of uh, branches and the wood. <laughs> so, so we get the idea of um, of um, you know the nature. The, the nature kid in Sweden that that every single person must be going out in nature with a pair of skis and it's just part of living. So you're you were da a, a downhill skier, right? Uh, not that, a downhill. A I was a ski racer. Uh, I didn't okay. compete uh, that much in downhill. It was mostly uh, slalom uh, and the giant slalom. Uh, the, those were my two like main uh, what do you call it main uh, events. Yeah. And and did you also go out in the forest with skis and like do uh, do cross country skiing that kind of thing? <laughs> this is real funny. I, I've been ski racing my whole life, but I've never done cross country skiing. <laughs> uh, I, I think actually uh, it, it's um, one thing that uh, someone said when I was a small kid. Like, no, that's like adult cross country. No, uh, no speed, and it's much more fun to ski race. And I like. Mm, okay, I'm gonna stick to ski racing. That I didn't even try it. I, 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 I'm positive now that I I would have liked that too, but didn't do it. <laughs> Just one of those crazy things. Adam played hockey, so we know he can stand on ice skates. 
And I went skiing once. I fell down several times and said, I will never do this again because I was so miserable. I got, I knocked myself in the head like five times. I had a terrible headache. It was awful. But anyway, um, yeah, Adam, Adam clearly has better winter skills. I'm, I'm bad on ice skates or skis. Terrible, awful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can give you a lesson. I love skiing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same here. We come there. We have tons of very smaller mountains in Pittsburgh, but yeah, I grew up skiing and snowboarding as well. And I love it. It's just such, um, so nice. And, and for me, I like, obviously I like, you know, hitting moguls and, um, you know, you call it the slalom. Um, but for me, I love going just on like the untracked backcountry, like backside of the mountain where they don't have it. And you're just cutting in between trees and just going back like that. Um, that for me is just like, ooh, there's like not a better winter day that you could have. You just go up to the top of the mountain and then just cruise around the, the back streets of it. So I, I definitely identify with that, Eric, and that kind of way of life because that was just fun for us, you know, growing up is hit the side of a, a hill or a mountain, you know, have like the little just step in uh, stuff for like, you know, just kind of the backyard and just, you know, go down and, and have some fun. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed skiing and, and snowboarding growing up. So so Eric, did you did you have siblings, your brothers and sisters? Um, uh, yeah, I have uh, three older siblings, half siblings, uh, one brother and two sisters. But uh, the youngest sister is ten years older than me, so I almost felt like an uh, alone kid uh, because they moved out really early when I <laughs> uh, was only four or five years old. And uh, yeah. So you, you got all the attention at home. Yeah, I did. Uh, because mom and dad, they really were the best parents they could and supported me, uh, even though they were not uh, wealthy in any way. Uh, uh, they gave all their time and money to support me in my ski racing career, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, I'm never going to be able to repay that debt uh, that I'm, I feel for for them. Uh, I almost get emotional talking about it because they, they sacrificed so much. I know they had other, other dreams uh, when I grew up and uh, they like traveling. They're doing it now. They bought a mobile, mobile, mobile home uh, seven years ago and have been touring around Europe uh, every winter now. Uh, so I know they, they wanted to do that, but uh, they sacrificed a lot for me. Uh, so. Well, it's great. Always great to hear somebody talk fondly and, and uh, with emotion about their, their parents. I mean, you know, it's uh, always it's the most powerful relationship that between parents and, and kids. And when you have a positive when you have that positive connection, it's just a completely transformative uh, aspect of, of your life. So so you're still, you know, still close with them. Yeah, really. I miss them a lot now when they're uh, they are away six months uh, every like yeah winter they travel around september and come back in march so wow, uh, it's a uh, it's a long time uh, away for me and uh, also for my two kids now uh, and they miss them we talk on facetime and so uh, from time to time but it's still uh, so you got into you got into into uh, skiing into racing did you um, did you just say hey, I just love doing this, and it was a very easy thought to compete, or did were you pushed in any way? Did you feel pressure to compete? My dad was a skier. Uh, he grew up in uh, morning also, and uh, was um, uh, involved in uh, developing a ski hill with some other friends 
it was very primitive in uh, in the 60s they uh, like uh, uh, went up and uh, chopped down some woods and made a ski slope and then in the winter they started like uh, yeah prepping uh, the snow with their feet walking up and down the hill and then yeah started racing so he he had a long uh, history of ski racing and uh, all my siblings also and uh, all of my um my relatives uh, we were uh, a lot of uh, relatives uh, cousins and so on who ski raced and uh yeah it, more or less i was born into it i was uh, on my dad's back when i was uh, i think i was one month or two months old uh, when he was in the ski slope uh, uh yeah <laughs> not racing but uh, i was there in the ski slopes at that early age and then i started like uh, ski racing already at the age of five, actually. Uh, that was my first uh, race. And uh, yeah, around 10, it got more and more serious uh, with the competition almost every, uh, every weekend, Saturday and Sunday. And that was the life. So it was pretty intense. I mean, it was a lot of hours. Yeah, and that was what I'm talking about with my with my parents. They put so much time and effort into my ski racing. It was uh, training three days a week, uh, every Tuesday, Wednesday, or on Thursday. I think it was uh, in the beginning, and uh, then going around Dalarna, which is uh, the county I live in. Uh, every Saturday and Sunday, sometimes staying over at night, uh, already at that early age of 10, 11 years old. So at, the be so at the beginning, did you feel pressure and nerves doing it? When did you start feeling like you had conflict inside about doing it? Uh, the first memory I have of my performance anxiety was already when I was 10 years old. Uh, at that age, uh, I started to win a lot. Uh, I was pretty good at what I was doing and I started to win and with that uh, success the pressure came and it came from me it was uh, no outside pressure in any way and my parents have obviously been very supportive about this and uh, tried to help me with it but uh, I remember feeling uh, a, a nervous feeling that I couldn't really handle it was uh, um, taking uh, it's it it started also in developing an eating disorder out of it i couldn't really eat and sleep uh, the night before a big ski race or a big ski a normal ski race it was uh, worse or better some weekends but uh, yeah almost every uh, weekend i felt a little bit of pressure and nervous uh, feelings and then I, 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 lived, I lived like that for almost 15 years, I would say. So literally the night before, like you'd be just have such nerves that you weren't able to sleep often? Uh, no, a lot of uh, troubles with that and a lot of troubles eating uh, in front of the race uh, because I knew I had to get energy from the food. I was aware of that already at that uh, young age. Um, so I like, to myself if i don't eat now i'm not gonna be able to perform i'm not gonna able, be able to win uh, and then also uh, in the early ages when i was around from 
maybe 11 years until 13, I threw up because I went, got so nervous. I couldn't hold my food in. Um, and that also, uh, yeah, affected me a lot because I get, you get tired from being that nervous. Uh, and Oh, it's exhausting. So, so did you hide, sort of hide the worst of it from your, your parents? No, I was, uh, my parents knew everything, but I, uh, I was ashamed from my, you know, it was my best friends in the ski slopes. I, I raced against, we, we're, we were competition, but we were also best friends. So that was embarrassing, I thought, uh, right from the start. And also that I sometimes threw up. Uh, I could like be nervous in front of the, the race and uh, close to, uh, to the start time. So sometimes I had to go out in the woods and throw up because I got so, so very nervous. And that, that I tried to hide, but yeah, some, some of the friends knew it and some didn't. I've heard, I've heard a couple of friends uh, who were athletes when in high school, junior high school, say on occasion that they got, they actually threw up or got sick in some way because of the, of the nerves. But clearly this was a, this was a, a really very uh, prevalent prominent uh, experience for you while you're uh, while you were competing so so what was the turning point when did you say oh this is not something I can live with and I have to do something about it and then what did you do yeah the problem about that I didn't do anything actually uh, it got better and better uh, the the throwing up quit around like age 14 15 but uh, uh, I, I lived with a performance anxiety, and I still do, uh, all through my ski racing career. Uh, I had it like, uh, yeah, I, I remember the last season I went to uh, the Europa Cup, uh, the level below uh, World Cup skiing, and I was so nervous. Uh, it was my first like uh, uh, national mission, national team mission, uh, and uh, it prevented me from performing the way I could. Uh, and that's I'm, I'm sad for that that I didn't uh, do anything earlier or didn't do anything during my career because I think so what exactly did you do how did you how did you get help what what uh, uh, I talked to a therapist basically it, it uh, was around the, the age 26 when I quit uh, I felt like uh, there was a big empty hole uh, after quitting ski racing, I have a, I have a, identified myself as a ski racer all my life. That was my identity, deep down in the core, really. And uh, when I quit, I like didn't really know what uh, what was going uh, to happen and what I could identify myself as. So I started like uh, getting into a depression at the age of 26 down that fall, and um, then it got so bad I just had to do something. I felt I couldn't live like that. Uh, it was a completely different level. It was not performance anxiety then. It was, yeah, it was a depression. So I, I, I talked to a therapist in Sweden, professional, and that was one of the best things you can do, actually, I think. What were some of the things that you discovered? Did you, people, I guess, have the perception that, uh, you know, if you start talking to a therapist and digging down deeply, you sort of Un, unravel the knot that's there. I mean, was it that, or did, was it just having someone to talk to, just help relieve the anxiety, getting getting some of it out? Yeah, some some part was, of course, just talking to someone uh, who could listen, uh, someone who's not involved in the problem or 
involved with me in, in that way. Uh, but also a professional therapist, they have tools that you don't possess or can't know about. Uh, some of, of course, you can read on the internet, but it's uh, more powerful when someone speaks to you and, uh, yeah, really tries to help you as a person. Uh, it's not the internet saying to a static site, like <laughs> saying to you what you want to do, but uh, when you feel that human connection, like we're doing now, talking face to face, and uh, that's powerful. Did you feel any kind of, did you feel any kind of uh, pressure or, um, sort of shame in a way, like, oh, I'm, I should handle this myself. And I'm, I'm, you know, I know a lot, there's a lot of pressure on guys to not, to not admit that they have a problem. So they try to soldier on and they suffer, they suffer needlessly because they're, because their ego or whatever you call it. I'm just curious, did you have any, did you feel like, oh, I can't believe I can't handle this? Or did you say, oh, I really need this. And, and, and you were kind to yourself in the process. At that point, I was so, yeah, depressed, so I couldn't really function in the everyday life. I had trouble going to work, and so, so I, I just needed to get something done, and uh, this was like the first thing I could think about. Uh, nothing else. I tried work, and of course, I, I <laughs> wobbled it uh, back and forth in my mind. Should I see a therapist, or should I not? And uh, yeah, I think there's a part of me who were a bit, little bit ashamed that I had to go and talk to someone I couldn't solve it myself but at this point I, I had felt uh, the performance anxiety and uh, these kind of feelings so long and I, I kind of knew deep within I can't solve this myself but there's a big step on, on really doing something about it. No, and we have to completely give you, you know, um, you know, our our uh, gratefulness. Really, honestly, just to, to first of all that you that you went and you got help, but that you're sharing that with us because I think I mean I certainly felt it myself um, when you know I've had some some times in my life where I had some serious uh, grieving that was going on, and I just I d definitely inherited from my own mother this sort of strong sense that. Oh, those are your problems, and your we our family deals with their their problems, and we deal with our problems. And there was definitely a lot of uh, discouragement in our immediate family about getting professional help. And I I think that was to that was to my detriment. I think I would have I would have worked through um, a lot of things a lot more quickly if I had had the attitude that that it's totally fine for me to ask somebody to help to to help me out. Do you feel like then you passed through to the other side and have a a view of yourself like you're looking back and going oh that was me then and i'm a different person now or are you the same person but you deal differently with your with the um the issues that you might face in in, in your day-to-day -day life it's hard to say <laughs> i feel like me still uh, even though i've uh, been through that uh, that depression and it was a good experience because uh, whenever i've been uh, I've been close to getting depressions again, but now I can recognize the signs on how I react on things uh, and uh, and how I handle them. I, I'm, I'm more self-aware now, uh, so to say. So uh, it, it has made me a better person and a better handler of problems. I mean, that's that's good that the self-awareness is there. One thing that, that you know I was kind of noticing whenever you were sharing your story is, 
you know, you said you had a lot of these physical symptoms, like you said, you know, your stomach hurt, you know, you, and it was hard kind of getting out of bed. Um, what other like physical symptoms did you feel? Cause you, you kept saying like you felt this and like you, you had these experiences. So it seemed like a little bit more than an upset stomach and just, you know, a little bit of, uh, you know, sloth, but yeah. What were you like physically feeling? My physical, physical symptoms were, uh, I get really warm in the body, not like sweaty, but you can feel the pulse, uh, of course, uh, racing. And uh, it's not like you get nervous in front of a, when you're going to hold a speech or something. It's more like a, a damp uh, race of a heartbeat. I don't know how to really put a finger on it. It's hard English also. English is not my native language. But, um, and and uh, when, you're, when you're nervous for something, it... Uh, Often it's like uh, uh, there's a top and then it goes down uh, pretty quick. But when you have uh, like this performance anxiety, uh, I can be nervous like one day before I'm going to do something, 24 hours. Uh, and it, when it's like that long, you get really tired uh, to have like a yeah, raised heartbeat and uh, the body's... Uh, in full attack mode, if you want to talk primal uh, instincts, uh, and that that is really uh, yeah tiring. So that that was uh, some of the the symptoms that I I now recognize uh, all. Yeah, I recognize them right away. More self aware, and you've kind of you know are aware of that now. What do you do whenever you feel those symptoms come up? Like when you feel like your elevated heart rate, and you feel that kind of like cold you know sweat coming like what are things that you do um in today um that kind of help you through that yeah i use a lot of them the tools <laughs> that i that i learned through therapy uh it's uh, the first thing you have to do is just to accept the fact that you are nervous and that you have these symptoms because they're gonna pass uh one of the big uh, issues or the fears when you're depressed or having having anxiety is that this is going to last forever or this is going to last a long time. Uh, so it's uh, yeah, bad circle or what do you call it? Uh, it just um, you're afraid of the anxiety itself. So uh, the first thing I do is just to accept. Yeah, right now I'm feeling like this, but it will probably pass real soon. Uh, and uh, then, of course, there's a lot of uh, like uh, thought patterns that you can use uh, and breathing exercises. I also learned uh, deep breathing. I'm really good at that now. I can breathe like two breaths in one minute. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of, yeah, some things I, uh, I use uh, whenever I get it. But also now uh, being... Uh, a father to kids and um, having yeah that kind of life have uh, improved this uh, these feelings uh, a lot. I, I can say having my first kid, that big experience just evolved me and evolved all of this into something completely else. I don't have the same anxiety anymore because there's something much more important than me. Uh, I think. I went from a self-centered person into a family person right away. And that created it. Absolutely. I, that was going to be my uh, next question there was, 
how has having a family changed you? Because I know for me, you know, um, you know, I've been diagnosed with anxiety and, you know, I've gone through bouts of depression as well. And, you know, once I had my kid and, you know, once I had my family, it's just, you know, I can talk to my wife or I can go play with my kid and that just turns it right around and, and much quicker too. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, you, you kind of started with it, but you know, um, for me, it's like, I just like, can just say anything to my wife, you know, and just have her kind of be my support person. You know, we're all in committed relationships here. And I think that's something we can all relate to, but how is your, your kind of condition changed or evolved with your family? As I said, I, I've been with my uh, my wife for a very long time, and she's always been supportive for around this issue. I talked to her about it almost like two or three months after we met, so she knew right away because I wouldn't be upfront with her, and I couldn't hide who I was because, as I said, it was a big part of me. Uh, and we we lived with this issue, with my issue, uh, a long time now. But um, yeah, my uh, Oldest kid, she's uh, four years, and uh, as I said, I was I, I was nervous. Uh, of course, I had performance anxiety of becoming a dad, but as soon as she came to us, uh, everything changed. Uh, I can't really put a finger on what changed, but as I said, I was uh, I, I went from a self-centered person to something else. I, my thoughts are always with my kids now, so. Uh, I don't have time actually to feel bad or have anxiety because there's always something happening. If this, there's one thing I have anxiety for, it's my uh, well-being of my kids. Like uh, you're always uh, looking out for them and uh, yeah, want to give their best to them. So all my thoughts <laughs> goes to them right now. So since since you um, stopped uh, skiing. Uh, uh, racing have you gone back to skiing though and just enjoyed it for your own pleasure or yeah, you yeah. just not ski oh so okay so you're still doing I that. ski a lot I love the thing that Adam talked about the backcountry skiing I went to uh, some ski trips uh, down uh, to the Alps uh, here in Europe and ski just backcountry and enjoy the nature because that's what skiing is about now for me meeting friends of course and and uh, the nature uh, just being out there uh, I, I really love that still, and and I try to learn my uh, my kids to ski. The the daughter who's four, she uh, she loves skiing, and uh, we go skiing whenever we can together. So well, it'll be interesting to see if she says, "Oh, I think I want to be a, a a ski racer." What advice Dad's going to give her about being a racer? Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that day if she wanna, if she's gonna say that. But it also with a bit of fear uh, because I know it's a lot of time and the effort you have to put down to become a ski racer. But uh, we're not gonna push her into anything. We just wanna uh, learn uh, learn her. What do you say? Learn, <laughs> give her, teach her. Yeah, teach her to ski, uh, so we can ski as a family because we like it. Yeah something to do on the week and be out in nature at the risk of uh like com completely characterizing entire groups of people we have to ask you you know you're from you're from sweden so we have to ask uh like the big picture question you know american guys have certain um you know pressures that they feel you know that they're very it's a very uh a very strong image that we have in our minds i think as american men of you know there's a lot of pressure in america to be successful that's a huge driving 
you know, element to anxiety, I think, for American men um, is, you know, we, we were supposed to be uh, successful in work and we're supposed to be powerful and supposed to be accomplished as, uh, you know, in everything that we do. We feel, we feel a lot of that pressure. I'm just curious, what do, what do you think are distinctly Swedish, um, you know, Swedish uh, pressures that men feel, things that are unique to your culture? You know, uh, from our perspective, at least me growing up, I would go and see, you know, films by Ingmar Bergman and they'd be these intense black and white uh, films, uh, you know, later on in color of these very moody, very beautiful people, but they're walking around with these very intense inner inner lives and there's there's a lot of angst and and uh you know sometimes i i guess we we would hear it's just oh you know they have all that darkness they have those long winters and dark nights do you think that i mean do you think there is certain things that are very uniquely swedish that that you feel as a man that what give us a little bit of a sense of the cultural the cultural background that you feel men are are up against in your country i think you're onto something here because uh definitely there's something uniquely Swedish and it's the thing you've been uh, touching before here in the podcast that you have to be strong and cope with things and you, in Sweden uh, we don't uh, really talk about problems you there's a big feeling that you you should uh, manage this yourself uh, and uh, we keep things inside ourselves uh, because we're not, as I said, I, I think I said that to you uh, before when we chatted, that um, we Swedish, we don't uh, really talk on the bus with other people. We don't really open ourselves up uh, to our work colleagues. Or It, it takes some time and um, maybe a lot more time than in other culture for us to open up to people. Uh, and that is... Yeah, a big problem in Sweden. We have the one of the highest suicide rates in all of the world. Uh, maybe the darkness have something to do with that, but I think a lot of it is, uh, yeah, because we don't uh, talk about our problems or we don't talk at all sometimes. We're a quiet people, <laughs> so to say. I have uh, really best best friends who um, live in Stockholm. The wife in the in the in the uh, marriage is from um, Sweden, and they have, they're living they're living back there now. They used to live in New York, and I remember early on because I'm always telling people I love them. It's just like it was like such a big part of growing up. Just everybody's always telling each other how much they love each other in, in our family, and um, I remember telling my friends i would say oh i love you I, I would get i would just get ready to hang up the phone and i would say i love you guys and i remember one time she said to me she was albert it's really weird we in our in sweden we might say that to our kids but we wouldn't say we wouldn't end the conversation with a friend and say oh i love you and then a couple of years later she'll be on the phone or on facetime with me and she's like Oh, Albert, I love you so much. It's a, and she just said, oh, you've helped us. You know, we're always telling, I tell people now I love them. I was just like, oh my God, that's so adorable. I mean, obviously people, we love each other, but whether or not we actually tell each other these things, there's, it's so different in so many different, in so many different uh, cultures. Um, you know, obviously, you know, there's those sort of mythical elements of a, of a personality of a, of a country. You know, there's, you know, Swedish to I don't know I don't know about you Adam but for me a lot of my a lot of my Swedish friends there's this kind of like 
coolness that I really admire. This kind of like, oh my God, they seem to have their shit together. Their society seems like it's functioning, basically. Although I hear politically, there's a lot of a lot of crazy stuff that's going on uh, with you know more extremist politics. Yeah. So I'm I'm curious. Have, have you? been to America before and what's your sort of what's your take on like the American the, the sense of of America's influence in your own country is there is there anything obvious about it no, I, I've been to America but it was when I was around I think it was 20 years or something so it's 14 years now um, I don't remember actually that much about it I was uh, visiting a friend who was uh, au pair uh, in Philadelphia. Is that where you live, Adam? No. Yeah, he's Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Okay. I'm Pittsburgh, yeah. Same state, yeah. just different <laughs> side of it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I'm not sure of, uh, of course, U.S. Uh, affects, uh, it affects all of the world uh, in some way or influences it. Um, but I, I sense that Sweden has a, a unique uh, character, what do you call it, uh, being like a bit introvert i would say that's my my take on what sweden is a bit introvert uh, but we're getting better i i think i have a feeling we're getting better um but uh, there's also a problem as you said uh, there's a big pressure in the us for uh, us men to be successful and uh yeah accomplished and all of that and uh, i think that this social media boom uh, that we've seen the last 10 years has uh, definitely affected Sweden in that direction. Um, there's a lot more we, uh, jealousy. We, uh, there was a thing called Swedish jealousy that uh, was really strong uh, from um, yeah, 50 years back. Uh, but uh, then no one talked about it really. Now you can see it uh, in every school corridor where the kids have their iPhones and they look at each other more than they speak to each other. And when they look at each other, they look at each other's Instagram or Facebook pages. And yeah, it's all of that, that problem that you have all around the world now, actually, that we look, uh, look at each other on and uh, what the other person have instead of what we, what we self have and be happy about that or work with that. Um, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of jealousy going on. And that also makes us more introvert because we don't talk about that. Jealousy is a, a bad feeling. Shouldn't have that. Oh, yeah, no, totally. The The Instagram thing is huge. I mean, uh, like, you know, the, the Instagram, you know, kind of society is like, who are you online versus who are you as a person? And, you know, right now there's sort of this giant disconnect from your identities and you have an online identity and you have a personal identity. And... Um, there's, uh, this thing, um, I believe it's Japanese where it's, you wear three masks, you know, the one you show other people, the one you show yourself and the one you don't show anyone. And I think where culture is at right now is we're more focused on what we show other people rather than what we're developing inside for ourselves. So, I mean, I've never been to Sweden and, you know, I, I don't know the culture, but, what would you say would be like, you know, a few things that could, that could help, you know, that like other men in Sweden um, could benefit from? Because it seems like building a community and building communication is going to help. But, you know, um, 
what, what do you think you live and breathe that? Like, what do you think could, you know, help other men around you? Because, you know, we're, we're kind of online with our little, you know, podcast here, but we're really trying to reach as many people as we can and find out, you know, what, what's not working and what could work. Like, do you have like sort of a, not really a diagnosis, but just like a sort of a, just a idea of like, what, what do you think could bridge the gap between other people? It's basically things like this. When we talk, we solve the problem uh, and we release the pressure on ourselves because everybody has problems. That, and that is the first thing you have to realize. Uh, where, uh, yeah. When you have a problem, you're not unique. You, you're unique if you don't have a problem. And uh, we have to talk about it because you can't, sometimes at least, you can't solve problems yourself. And we should ask for help uh, among friends, of, among family. Um, there's always someone with uh, similar experiences and that have a, have a solution. Uh, and also, I, I have to say, to get professional help. That is something you, you shouldn't be afraid of that. Uh, and I think uh, a lot of... Uh, a lot of times these things can be yeah, stopped so much earlier. Like for me, I didn't have to get in that depression if I just had talked to someone earlier. It was too late already. Why, why, should, I, why should I be afraid of like, getting a service on myself? I see myself as a car. Uh, you get a service every year. Go and talk to someone once a year. and prevent a complete breakdown on the highway. Yeah, totally. That's a great, that's a great analogy. It's very, very, very true. Tell, tell us just very briefly, because we, we know that you need to get home to your uh, kids, um, but tell us a little bit about your work. Oh, you said that you're, you have an I, IT consulting. Do you do this completely on your own? Do you have uh, colleagues in a small company? Tell us a little bit about your company. Uh, no, I, I'm, a, I'm basically a one-man company. I've uh, been an IT consultant for six years now. Uh, and uh, two years ago, I took the step on becoming my own. Uh, I, I didn't see the point on being a uh, consultant, consultant uh, company where, with a lot, of, a lot of other consultants because uh, I could do it myself and I wanted to like control my own time. And it was important also when I had the family because I, I didn't want to <laughs> go to the boss and ask for parental leave all the time. And uh, it's much more uh, easy now just to ask myself, can I have a parental leave next month? Yeah, I can. Two weeks, okay, thanks. And no, I, I work at a, a client. I work at the, the Swedish uh, Railroad Administration now. Well, good for you for keeping the overhead down and, and keep being mobile. I'm, I'm a small businessman. I've been doing music promotion for 20 years. We have 15 people at my company. And, you know, the, it gets complicated fast having employees. It's, I love it. I love what we do. And if some of them are listening, I don't want them to feel unloved. But uh, I really admire someone who's you're able to really control so many aspects of your, of your life and, you know, being being a, a, a dad that's got that flexibility just has to be pretty awesome. Um, a, a, Adam, I, we're probably at the amount of, 
I think we're roughly the amount of time we normally go for. Anything, anything you want to uh, close up with? You know, one thing that you said, Eric, was really powerful is we have to talk about it. And, you know, we share more similarities than differences. And that's something that's always kind of rang true with myself there. And just by talking about it and just by really connecting with other people, we're going to start breaking down these walls of, you know, introversion, you know, shame, and just, you know, not knowing, like not having the tools to help yourself. So I just want to say thank you so much for for your shares. And just for that, you know, those nuggets of wisdom that you gave us, because, um, you know, we don't know what it's like in Sweden. I've, I've never been there. And, you know, it's really nice to hear that people over there are, you know, one. Yeah, and I have to thank you, Eric, too, because we are, when we two, started doing, doing the, things about it. So podcast, thank you so much. Um, you know, you always have that sort of, oh no, why are we doing this? Why are we getting this out there? Nobody wants this. No one's going to listen. You get really paranoid and you feel kind of, you know, just very self-conscious. And I remember, totally remember getting the message from you. And you and I had not had that many back and forth um, direct messages. And I was so completely blown away that you reached out to me. I was like, wow, uh, you know, if this person who I don't really talk to all that much got a little bit of something from listening and thinks this is a good idea, maybe we're onto something. So your encouragement early on when we were doing this really made a big difference. And I remember asking you a while back, you know, we got to get you on the show. And you said, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a young, young second kid now. It's going to be really hard to schedule. So when you came back and said, we can do this, we're really grateful. So you're a great, you're a great guest and you want to come back down the road and tell us more. And uh, we, we really appreciate you being so honest and open. It's not never easy to do, but you've, you, I think you're going to make it easier for other people to, uh, to, to come forward and say, Hey, let's, I, I, there's something I need to talk about, or it's, there's some help that I need to get. Thank you so much for having me. I think this show is spot on and that's why I reached out to you and I want to be a part of it because uh, yeah, spot on uh, subject and uh, a really, uh, yeah. A really good platform and I, you guys also you're great i have to say <laughs> as i said you're you're so friendly and uh, it makes it easy to talk even though i don't know you <laughs> well we're gonna know you we're gonna know you better now we're, i'm actually maybe gonna be in your neck of the woods i may be in stockholm in may visiting my friends okay then we have to meet up i know you Definitely. got good swedish denim dudes yeah, yeah. It's really you guys got a lot of good ones yeah we love the denim hangs here so Adam, you want to do your famous wrap up? Absolutely. Well, this has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. And I'm Albert Imperata. And I'm Eric Olson. Thank you for listening.